Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Today's a big day. Darius Garland is back, guys. Get ready for that. But there's been some big changes in the Big Ten, and we just got to meet officially the uh, Buckeye transfers, Quinchon Judkins, Will Howard, uh, Caleb Downs, they spoke with the media yesterday. Myself and Spencer German have you covered uh, on all the latest, including Will Howard's comments about uh, a, a potential quarterback competition in Columbus on the new Sons of the Shoe uh, podcast there, the new episode, rather. You can follow Sons of the Shoe, 923thefan.com, the free Odyssey app, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, and we also... We, we did take a little look at the Michigan panic. So if you're a Michigan fan, there's something for you this week. We, 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 between Ward Manuel, the, the petition, between uh, Jim Harbaugh hate, we, we, we tried to be there for uh, our friends up north. So Sons of the Shoe, follow the podcast wherever you get your podcast, Apple, Spotify, what have you. But Darius Garland's back. And there is, I, like, it's so funny because I am bearish long-term about the decisions that might have to be made. And I'll be honest with you. I like the, It's tough to balance the long-term, well, what are we going to do, dot, 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 and the short-term excitement. So mostly, I'm just excited to see Darius back. You know, the weird thing that has happened with Donovan balling out while Darius has been out is that there's been this, this I don't want to say it's a change, but if if we had talked about fan favorites, before the going into this year, I would say that there were as many people excited to see what Darius was going to do this year as Donovan, and it uh, maybe even more because there's a lot of Don. One of the dumbest things I did, like a month into being back into Cleveland two years ago, was I I had said I would have traded uh, Darius Garland for Donovan Mitchell, and it, it took a long time for Cavs fans to be okay with that. And I've learned my I'm, I'm, it's okay. We're we're good. We're in a good spot. But I just think it's interesting how the perception of Darius has changed because of how well Donovan's played without another ball-dominant guard. And honestly, it has nothing to do with Darius. It has everything to do with you were able to put an extra lower-usage player who could shoot the hell out of the ball on the court. And the difference between having three shooters who are relatively low-usage players and a non-shooting big and, and, and a ball-dominant guard on the court and having two ball-dominant guards, two shooters, and a restricted big offensively, it changes how your offense looks, that extra shooter. 
And, and, and by the way, we should include either Donovan or Darius in the shooter category because that kind of rolls up to the, the Jared Allen conversation or Evan Mobley conversation. But I think I said yesterday, like, I do think the next two to three weeks will, will tell us whether the, the Cavs can keep this momentum going. And it's never really been more important because the rest of the uh, Eastern Conference there's a lot of kind of rising and falling going on right now specifically. You know, Philadelphia, we're, we're still waiting to find out what happened with Joel Embiid last night. Uh, he had Jonathan Kaminga land on his knee. Uh, he was getting an MRI today. That could be a significant injury. Um, and also, can I just tell you, because I saw Draymond Green talk about it, and I saw, I've seen talking heads. Uh, I think uh, uh, Amin El Hassan talked about it as well on the Levitard show. This ridiculous narrative that Joel Embiid getting hurt last night was because of the regular season award minimums or that Joel Embiid, you know, I think it was Draymond Green saying Joel Embiid feels the need to play through because people are criticizing him for not playing as much. Crocodile tears. Like this, I, I, like, listen, I, I'm I, I'm kind of on the fence. I kind of don't have a real opinion on the NBA instituting uh, games minimums for their uh, uh, regular season awards. I, it doesn't matter that much to me because the the regular season award process is so flawed that those awards don't matter to me. Like, one, no Cav named LeBron is going to win the NBA, N- NBA MVP as it, it stands. So I don't, I don't know when the next time that's going to happen. Those awards are about superstar players and, you know, the top 10 players in the NBA. And they're also, in, so it doesn't impact me as a Cavs fan. It also, they're entirely reliant on narratives. Well, it's James Harden's year. Okay, that has nothing to do with whether James Harden was or wasn't the best player in the NBA that year. And so, like this, I, the, 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 the reaction to the Joel Embiid thing is laughable. I feel bad. Like, I hate it that Joel, uh, Joel Embiid got hurt. I, I hate it if he feels pressure from fans because all, all anybody talks about is his days off. He's also the guy that made sure that he didn't play against Nikola Jokic again recently. So, like, I'm sorry. There are, like, this idea that everything, oh, we just got oh, to support all our athletes. Like, it's not life. Like, you can criticize somebody's decision even if you like the player. And there's just this weird, and, and, and honestly, it's, it's soft from the, the analyst side of things. It's not fans who are soft. It's not fans who are overly homeristic. It's, it's, it's NBA analysts. Oh, he, he just felt the pressure to play. I would, I would think making $35 million or $50 million a year would be the pressure I feel to play. I would imagine the, the, the night-in, night-out uh, night pressure of being one of the five best teams of the Eastern Conference would be the pressure. But I digress. The, the 76ers lost their fourth straight last night. They're now the fifth seed. You're now the, uh, the fourth seed simply because they lost. The Knicks have moved to the three seed. Milwaukee is one and a half games in front of the Knicks and two and a half games in – math is so hard – two and a half games in front of the Cavs for that two seed. So there are real tangible things. And just because you get it this early in the season doesn't mean – doesn't mean you're going to be the two seed, but it's about putting yourself in a position where if you can keep playing good ball, this is the time. So if the Cavs can hit the ground running with Darius Garland, 
and you can continue to work in Evan Mobley, and it doesn't stall what has been one of the better offenses we've seen for the Cavs, like, guys, this could be that thing. All that worrying, and by the way, all my worrying about the Cavs could be for naught. This could this is a pivotal couple weeks here. And so while we welcome back Darius Garland, I'm excited to see where, where he's at in his, his return. And I do want to play something that J.B. Bickerstaff said in pregame before Evan made his return to the court uh, two nights ago in the win. Because I... There's kind of a catch twenty two in this that kind of I, I didn't like it. I didn't like this when I heard it, and I don't like it when I hear it now. I believe so, but I also believe with Evan, like Evan, a lot of times is looking for the next play. So it's hard to shoot it when you're looking for the next play, and then you're like, oh no, now I got to shoot it, right? So you know, there's been some you know really good point guards in our league who've had that same mentality, and it's difficult. So it does take a little bit of a you know like a force, and again, stepping outside your comfort zone to go ahead and do it, and then once you get comfortable in it, then it becomes easy. But we just got to help him get those repetitions, and, and again. Us, teammates, you know, everybody's supporting him to take those shots. So he's talking about J.B. Bickerstaff taking, uh, sorry, Evan Mobley taking more three-pointers. And, you know, I, I mentioned Jason Lloyd's article on The Athletic the other day. He, he wrote up a, a, a great point why he thinks now is the time to, to start jacking up those threes for Evan. And, you know, one of the rebuttals that I've heard is, well, but it's too late in the season. I, I'll be honest with you, I don't understand that mentality. And I do think we're getting to the point, uh, once you get into March, you're getting to a point where that's your runway. That's where you gotta, you're either you're either descending or you're taking off. And that's where, that's always where, Le, it's something I always took away from listening to LeBron talk about that part of the season. Final 10 to 15 games of the season, maybe 20 games of the season. That is where teams are decided, whether they're serious playoff teams, serious championship teams, serious, um, you know, conference contenders, because that's where you eliminate the bad habits and where the first 60 games of the season, all that work is to get to that 20 games, to get healthy, to, to get where you need, to know who you are, to know your identity, to know everything, right? And to have answers, to have your rotation set, to have an idea of what rotations you might go to. That's what the last 20 games is about. All right, we struggled, we fought, we learned, we succeeded, we failed, now 20 games to go. We got to hone in on who we are, what we do well, and what we make other teams do poorly. So to say at the end of January it's too late in the season, I, I don't understand that at all. I, I think this is the perfect time. I think this is the perfect time to, to go to Evan with an offense with shooters that is firing on all cylinders and saying, listen, if you miss these, your teammates are going to pick you up. But there's this idea of if you don't shoot 40% in the NBA from three anymore, that it's just a fruitless endeavor. Not when you're seven foot tall. Not when you are some in just an amazing mix of a guy that can guard on the perimeter and a guy that can, and not just guard on the perimeter, a guy that can run the offense through him and a guy that can obviously dominate in the paint as well. And, you know, I, I like you want to make the Draymond Green comparison where, you know, like Draymond's best three-point shooting was, I think, in like 2015 or 2016. He shot like 36% from three. Most of those years, he was shooting 32, 33. And the difference between shooting 33% and 23% was huge in how teams guarded Draymond. 
I would also say, like, when I hear JB talk about the reticence of Evan Mobley to to shoot the three, and I'm not trying to turn this as an anti-JB thing. To me, this is also coaching and fit. Because if, if a guy is reticent, that tells me either his first instinct is to be a facilitator. That's not bad. Like what did what did uh, I mentioned the Draymond thing? What did what did Golden State have to do to fully bring out the best version of Draymond Green? They had to start running him as the point forward and running the offense through him. Now the difference is you had two guards in Golden State that were low usage enough players that you could that that made sense that they could share the ball. I think this also points to the idea you might have one too many ball-dominant guards. That might be slowing down Evan offensively. So part of the fix I do think is, hey, Evan, yeah, take that corner three. Hey, Evan, your your target is four three-point attempts per game. And by that March takeoff zone, we're going to know, all right, he's shooting 22%, it ain't the time. All right, he's shooting 33%. That's enough. Hell, he might shoot more. I don't know. His form tells you he might not shoot more. But the other thing that I think you have to start doing is you have to start finding a way to run an offense through him as well. And this is this is where the numbers, where the, the old there's only one basketball argument catches up with you. You're already struggling with getting Darius and Donovan the kind of usage that they feel comfortable and locks the best version of each guy. But I think you also need to start examining a way, whether it's running through, uh, giving the ball to the elbow and allowing him and taking advantage of him as a passer. Like the equal parts of Evan becoming more than just a good offensive low post player is his passing and taking enough three-point shots and making enough to make defenses come out and guard him. So the catch-22 is you got one ball, two ball-dominant guards, and a big who probably feel would feel more comfortable if he were more involved in the offense and moving the ball around and a guy who isn't shooting enough right now, but if he just shot a little bit better, maybe was more involved in the passing game, maybe all of a sudden you'd start to get those lanes you need for your guards. I went very heavy inside basketball there. 216-474-0092. Nits and grits for, for Ken and Anthony. That's what we're doing there. I'm just curious, guys. When you look at where the Cavs are, do you think the Cavs are starting to take off? And do you think that this is the start of the Cavs maybe making a push for a top three, top four seed? We have more on that in the conversation we don't want to have that the Browns have to have next on 92.3 The Fan. Ross Tucker coming up in about 40 minutes. We'll talk about Kevin Stefanski's, uh, I don't want to say stability, Kevin Stefanski, the pressure he might feel going into next year. We'll get his thoughts on, as a former Bills player, the Ken Dorsey hiring uh, will also get his thoughts. Ryan Leaf cut a damn promo on Brock Purdy alleged haters on uh, the Ross Tucker football podcast that I, I'm going to pick the brain of Ross on. He retweeted it. I got to see if retweets are endorsements. Ross joins us in about 40 minutes here. But we're proud to have more local sports talk than all of Ohio And we have the app to prove it. Follow each of our local shows chapter by chapter on the free Odyssey app to get every topics and to see every topic we covered in the last 72 hours. We're having a conversation real quick about um, Evan Mobley and the step forward for Evan Mobley. And it's funny, like I've, I've heard it said, and I do not disagree, 
with the idea that, you know, when it comes to shoot, don't shoot. If you're reticent, sometimes it's just not, you're just not a shoot first player. And it's not something like you can try and encourage that player as much. You can try and say like, hey, we, we here's your target with four three-point attempts per game, right? Five three-point attempts per game. You can do that as much as you want. At some point, the player has to feel comfortable doing so. And I guess my point is, I think if you've got a player that is always looking for the next play, I think that's one of the coolest things. One of my favorite things about LeBron as a player is he's always been, I'm looking for that next pass. Whereas Michael was always looking for the next shot. And by the way, they're both valid ideas. They're both valid things. But Donovan Mitchell, the last couple of weeks, Donovan's been looking for the next pass as much as he's been looking for the next shot. So I like I don't see it as a problem that Evan just might be more of a playmaker. That if you're looking to make him more comfortable taking those three-point shots, it might require getting him more involved in the offense quicker. And it might involve bringing him out closer to the perimeter. It doesn't mean he's going to bring the damn ball up the court. But one thing you could do is is try and find a way, and maybe this works with staggering minutes, maybe start getting him the ball at the elbow and allowing him to more facilitate some of the offense. Because that was something that was supposed to happen this year and and really through the first 20 games of the year didn't happen. And I thought it was the it was one of the things that I was most disappointed specifically in J.B. Bickerstaff about. Because every coach in the NBA coming off a disappointing year or a disappointing playoff exit has some big plan that they get like 10 games into the NBA season and they, they vacate because it just wasn't going to work, right? But every, every, every coach coming off a season that maybe didn't go the way you wanted it to overpromises. The one place I cannot let you slide on overpromising is Evan Mobley. So it's not simply – so I don't think this is a case of just, well, just keep encouraging him to shoot him. Like that's yes. He, yes. Say, hey, four attempts per game. And if you make one of them, we're going to be happy. Or if you make uh, if you make 30% of them, uh, man, it's going to change the way the offense goes. But it can't just be all on Evan. And that is where rotations matter. That is where staggering your minutes with your bigs and your guards matter. That is where I, I think the Cavs, to this point, whether that's JB, the organization, whatever, I think they've let the kid down. Everybody's, you know, uh, was Tim Bontemps. He's the most disappointing player in the NBA. Okay, well, what's the effect of having two ball-dominant guards who eat up the offense, eat up the usage? How is that impacting his ability to get involved on offense? And I think we saw, I don't think it's a coincidence, you remove one of those guards and one of those bigs from the offense, and all of a sudden the two remaining players, their stats and their performances look a hell of a lot better. I think that tells you a tale of, again, some of just the natural conflicts of how this team fits together. Let's go 216-474-0092. I'll ask you this. Which one of the the core four, or, or how would you rank the core four, the Cavs' four best players, in order of importance to this season going as as well as we need it to, which means you get a top four seed, which means you win at least a playoff series, which means you're competitive in every playoff series. I think a lot of people would have Darius Garland higher than I would. That's not a knock on Darius. It's a point about how valuable other pieces in that core four are. Devin, welcome to the show, buddy. What you got for us? So... Uh, with that ranking question, I think I'd go 
Uh, Donovan, Jarrett, Evan, Darius, and here's why. I think when you look at that Knicks series last year, um, a lot of our issues sprouted from one. Donovan surprisingly shying away from the spotlight along with Darius and the rest of the team seemingly. But also Jared Allen getting beat up on the boards. And while I know uh, Mitchell Robinson's hurt, um, there's plenty of big centers, big forwards um, around the East that could give us a lot of problems. Mm-hmm. So while I, I don't think Jared is valuable long-term or short-term as Evan, I think if he gets bullied, it's going to be a really difficult time in the playoffs for us. So I'm going to get – because I know you wanted to call about something else too. Um, yeah. I, I think your ordering's really interesting. I would actually say I think this year – and I think – I think Evans, I don't want to say struggles, but Evan not being who you hoped he would be going into year three, I don't think it's ever been more important that they unlock him to a greater degree down the stretch. Like Donovan, I think Donovan's always going to be some iteration of Donovan, even though like you still need the best Donovan. But like Agreed. the difference between Evan being, not even the best version because that's a long-term conversation, but the best, the most lethal you can get him, the most involved you can get him offensively, and and maybe more of a uh, disappearing act like we saw last year in the playoffs. I think I think that's the difference between you winning like multiple playoff series, like like the ability to at least contend in those first two rounds of the playoffs. Yeah, I agree. I think that Evan Mobley's versatility and not using it as him being, you know, like the, the big man who can pass, the big man who hypothetically could shoot, and him being the best defender potentially in the East besides Embiid or Antetokounmpo or somebody. Like, you know, like a top five defender in the East. Like, it's it'd be really – it'd be a shame if we didn't utilize him to his fullest potential of, of this season. I know long-term he's got a higher ceiling. Now, real quick, I know you had a thought on Karis LeVert. What you got, buddy? Yeah, so I'm not sure where he fits if you've got Darius taking the ball up, you've got Donovan taking the ball up, you've got Evan being a hub. Like, the Karras is such a, a ball-dominant player. Can you see a guy shooting, you know, 34% from three and 70% from the line um, being a catch-and-shoot guy? Yeah, I think I think we know the answer there. I think the big problem is, if if you didn't already have the problem with Darius and Donovan, and again the problem is it's not a problem. They're both great players, but it's the fit together. You would then be able to stagger Karis more, but trying to stagger three ball dominant guards, high usage players, it's really really tough. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission. Do you think that we'd be able to get fair value for Karras with everyone knowing that we've got this log jam? No, no. I think the only guy you might be able to get fair value for other than Donovan, Darius, or Evan, right now I think it's Jarrett. I think Jarrett's the one guy, if you really wanted to get creative, I don't know that Jarrett's value is ever going to surpass what it is right now where people are watch him, watching him 
dominating while also being really impactful on the offensive side of the ball because of the shooters around him. Like they're like you're you're showing other teams, hey, if you give if you put Jarrett on the court with four shooters, this is what it could look like. And so I think that's I, I think that's a value that if all of a sudden you bring back both Darius and Evan and all of a sudden you go into next year, I don't think he's gonna have the trade value in the summer. And I think that's I think that becomes one of the catch twenty twos. Devin, good stuff, buddy. Hey, thank you. Two one six four seven four double oh nine two. Just uh, again, the exercise we're doing here—it's kind of on the backdrop of the Evan Mobley conversation—is rank the core four Cavaliers. That is uh, Donovan, Jarrett, Darius, and Evan in in terms of their importance to the Cavs' success this year. And it's so funny, guys. Like in any way you put these, whoever is fourth. You're going to say to yourself, oh, well, he's more valuable than that. But it's relative to where the team is, where they need to be. I think the least important of the core four players is Jared. And that's that's not that's not to like besmirch the guy. He's incredibly important. But I think I just think of those four, I think Jared can disappear in a playoff series. Guys, um offensively limited bigs. They and I, that's unfair. He's developed. He's not the same guy he was when you traded for him. But he's not going to step out and shoot an eighteen footer. You're not. We're not having conversations about him taking three pointers like we are Evan Mobley. I digress. Um, it's just I. You should expect that guy to be limited in certain series. Darius, I think, because he is as of right now the lesser of the two guards, is my third most important of the Cavs core four. His three-point shooting is a huge boom, and I, I hope they can they can keep that where it needs to be while finding a way to keep the ball moving and keep more shooters on the court because that, that goes a long way to Do, uh, Darius and Donovan not overlapping each other and you know tripping over themselves, that kind of stuff. But I don't think Darius is ready to play the kind of winning ball that Donovan is. So Donovan, to me, has to be more important than him just in, in how we think about winning. And I don't think the Cavs did a good enough job of unlocking Donovan in that series last year. The amount of times I saw Darius late in that series dribble the ball up the court and Donovan sitting over on the far edge of the court, the role should have been reversed. One of those guys had playoff experience. And I don't know why the Cavs took that. I don't know why JB took that moment to try and get that player to develop in that series when you were already getting the crap kicked out of you. I would have gone with instant offense in Donovan Mitchell. Donovan's my second most important guy. Now, the next two are are interchangeable. Donovan needs to be a superstar. Donovan needs to be a top 15 player in any playoff series for you have a chance to win it. But Evan's the most important player to me of those core four. Evan is. For, for this year. And I didn't think we'd be having that conversation this year. But from where he has been, his first 20 games of this season, to where he could get, which involves his passing, which involves uh, three-point shooting. If you get those two things, more involved on the offensive side of the ball, more involved as a playmaker, which I think will only help him start to take those shots as the ball comes to him, if you can get those two things going, Evan has the chance to swing multiple seven-game series. Like multiple and multiple seven-game series, that sounds makes sound like you go to the NBA Finals. My point is, if the goal this year was to go to the Eastern Conference Finals, you're not going unless Evan starts shooting more consistently from the outside, drawing defenders out, which means you open up lanes for your guards, 
and him more as a passer. You're just you're not going where you could unless he finally gets to that point. That's not about points per game. That's not about shooting 40% from three. That's simply about getting him in an effective role in the offense that makes him some level of a passable threat. Let's go with Jerry. Jerry, how would you rank the Cavs for uh, core four to the to their importance for the rest of the season? Well, Donovan Mitchell's the most important, and uh, Evan Mobley next. And I'm going to say some people won't like. Um, Evan Mobley is not going to grow if you have Darius Garland. I like Darius Garland, but I don't look at the Cavs as going uh, too far this year anyway. They'll make the playoffs. They'll get put out in uh, the first or second round. So I'm saying go all in on Donovan Mitchell because people in Cleveland's tend to act scared. They think somebody's always wanting to leave. Go in on Donovan Mitchell and Evan Mobley. This way, this is the only way Evan Mobley is going to grow. Because if you have two small point guards, they're not going to go very far in the uh, playoffs anyway. Think of Damian Lillard and um, C.J. Um, McCollum. What's his name? Yeah, McCollum who I think actually are were slightly better than these two. Jerry, we got to run, buddy, but I appreciate the call. Um, I don't think it's as simple as Evan won't be maximized or fully developed as long as Donovan's on, or as long as Darius is on the roster. I do have questions about whether Evan can take the step forward necessary with Darius and Donovan on the roster together. And... There might come a time where I I tend to think I listen I think the obvious conversation is it, it's not going to be Darius I would be shocked if the Cavs ever got to a point where they traded Darius uh, oh, meaning choosing Darius over Donovan so I I think that's a non-starter for them I think Darius wants to be here I think those guys being here matters to them and but I digress for a second um, so I think you know where this goes but I think one of the potential upsides of of making a choice on one of those guards, whomever they could choose, is I think you might actually finally be closer to unlocking the best version of Evan Mobley. Strong words out of Columbus next on 92.3 The Fan. Fun and interesting day for Buckeyes fans. You can hear a a greater bit of reaction on the the latest Sons of the Shoe, but um, the the Buckeyes may or sorry the Buckeyes administrators made the the transfer portal players available to the media, and it should be noted that Will Howard looks like an Alabama quarterback from ten years ago. He's like he's not necessarily a chiseled man. I'm not I'm not calling him doughy. He's in a better shape than I am, but he's got that that swoop. Remember, like that, that, like that. I don't even know what it is that they're like when you're born in Alabama, or maybe you're, maybe it's when you go to the Crimson Tide when you go to school there. They they just comb over your hair, like it's that uh, it's that Southern dandy swoop that they got going on. It kind of looks like it. It's like the Bieber back when Bieber before he had like the long hair when he had that swoop over. That's been a haircut in Alabama for like forty years. The it's, frat boy is that what we're calling it? I mean. I think frat boys have co-opted it, but I think I think southern gentlemen have been wearing their hair like that. Just good southern gentlemen. And you can infer whatever you want from there. Um but but he's got that swoop going on. And I was like, man, if he ever gets fat, 
there's always a big boy sponsorship in the game for him because he could look like the big boy mask, the the big boy uh, mascot, the uh, the statue. Like you just give him that little swoop up, and he could he yeah. So if you haven't seen that, uh, that's as in in depth analysis on Will Howard's look as I can give you. But I thought it was interesting. A few things. I thought it was interesting that he took a stab at it. He was asked about whether or not he's accepting being challenged as the number one quarterback at, at OSU with the with not just the guys they have returning, but also Air Nolan and Julian Sain coming in as four-star recruits. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I wouldn't be here if I, if, I, if I didn't feel like I was ready for it. And, you know, like I said, my time at K-State kind of hardened me, and obviously it wasn't on the, uh, on the stage that this necessarily is, but I'm ready. You know, I feel like nothing that is, is worth getting ever comes easy. You know, I feel like this, this opportunity here was just too good to pass up. So the more I've thought about it, the more, you know, the, there was a, a, a lot of reports when Will Howard transferred where Ohio State was selling Will Howard on their fan base. And they were doing that by leaking things to the media. There was the well-known Pete Thamel uh, comment that, Ohio State had been very thoughtful. They had re- analyzed all the quarterbacks in the portal, and this was the guy that they felt gave them the best chance to win. Now, we also knew that they were in on Riley Leonard before he committed to Notre Dame. Um, there were other quarterbacks they at least looked at. So whether Will Howard was their number one uh, selection or whether whether he was fourth on the depth chart, the reality is they chose him, and I, I honestly, I, I think he kind of is going to be a perfect fit for this offense. And I think being a big mobile quarterback, although he's not a runner, he's he's a mobile quarterback. I think he's going to do things in the in the short uh, the the short and you know uh, short yardage situations, the goal line situations that I think they have not had for a minute. So I like that part of it. I also think that there's a reason why they presented Will Howard with solidarity, and they built the rest of this month about it. Right, like they built their whole "Hey guys, it's not as bad as it looks" plan and and messaging around Will Howard. But I think the thing that could have changed. Listen, I think it's Will Howard's job to lose. I think that's the safest way to put it. But I think messaging wise, like I think there was so much value in just presenting. Nope, this is the guy, and if this happens, okay, that you know, this is our guy. We're going to go forward with him. But something has changed since they, they they reeled in Will Howard. They got a new offensive coordinator. And that offensive coordinator in Bill O'Brien wasn't part of the decision, so far as we know, to bring in Will Howard. That doesn't mean he's guaranteed to want his guy as a starting quarterback, but it is a factor that wasn't there when Will Howard came on board. So I just think it's interesting that we're still taking it to the bank. Oh, it's Will Howard's job, and that's just the end of that. I think it's safer to say it could be Will Howard's job to lose. Will Howard's got Brian Hartline and Ryan Day in his corner, and now he's got to win the job by proving to Bill O'Brien he's the right guy. And the other thing that changed when you hired Bill O'Brien is he brought with him his hand-picked quarterback. The reason Julian Sayan went to Alabama was Bill O'Brien. That That's the initial connection point for, for the, one of the four-star kids, and and Alabama. So I just think, I think there's a lot of intrigue. I actually think that 
whether or not there will be a true quarterback competition or whether it's a wink, wink, nudge, nudge, it's Will Howard's job unless he loses it. I And what it looks like, I think it's going to be the most fascinating thing that, that, that is coming from Columbus over the next three months. I have every expectation that Will Howard's going to be the, the starting quarterback. But I, I would not be surprised if they presented it in some form or fashion as a as some sort of a quarterback competition to make sure Will earns it in the eyes of his teammates, to make sure that he earns it in the eyes of Bill O'Brien, and in case of injury, because they're going to have to kind of set the depth chart behind Will Howard in case of injury. I would also like to point out, we have yet to play my favorite piece of sound from yesterday with the Transfer Portal players uh, meeting with the Columbus media because it came from Quinshawn Judkins, who has as many questions for a guy that this, it, like there are questions about whether his teammates had his back. There's a lot of things about why did you leave, uh, you know, Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss, and he was asked about why Ohio State, and this might be the unintentional, most funny response he could have given. My answer would be why not Ohio State? You know, a plate with a place with great culture, the best coaches. The best players, uh, the best fan base that's very passionate about their team and about the whole city as all. So that was my reasoning. So there, he he finished off the answer very well. But when somebody says like, "Hey, why'd you marry your wife?" You know, my 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 response is, "Why not?" It's not great. That's not solid footing that you're starting that question off. And he he landed the plane. I give him credit. But like, you know, man, you know, why did you decide to pull the plug? On grandma. I mean, my question is, why not? It's just like he, he, he massaged it. He got it where it needed to be. But, man, was I listening. I don't think I've heard somebody grab my attention in a press conference when he started the answer to why did you go to Ohio State? And he led with why not Ohio State? I listened as intently to to that as any other answer to any of the other questions for the rest of the day. Kudos to you, Quinshawn Judkins. We come back. Ross Tucker's going to talk with us about uh, the state of the Browns. I'm just curious what he thinks about the uh, the hiring of Ken Dorsey and the pressure on Kevin Stefanski and Deshaun Watson. That's next on 92.3 The Fan. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. 